0: got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media, March 5th, on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more.
1: Osiris. Alright, hello and welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast. May 4th, 2022, I want to give a shout out to my little sister, whose birthday it is today, who turned 31 years young today. We were just talking about aging, and you know, 31 seems so spry and youthful to me now, but like, when I was 31, I was like, oh man, can't believe this. It's so weird how time works, isn't it? We are going to talk today, though, about a period 28 years ago. Wow. Where Fish was on tour throughout all of America, and they came to a very old city in America and threw down an absolutely incredible show. A show that I don't revisit all that often, but I was listening to it yesterday and this morning, and I was like, I should listen to this more, which is 5 4 from New Orleans, Louisiana. A lot of really cool Easter eggs and cool moments in this show. We're going to dive into it, but I'm here with RJ and Megan. RJ, how are you doing here today?
0: I'm great. I'm great. Sorry, there was a loud noise behind me. Um, I'm great. How are you guys doing? Awesome.
1: Doing very well. Megan, how are you doing?
2: I'm great. It's Wednesday. I get to hang out with you two. What could be better?
1: What could be better? Not, Not much.
2: too much. Not much. No,
1: this, is it. this is the peak of the week for me. Everything leads up to this. Same. I'll listen to a fish show while making dinner. And my wife's like, oh, this is a cool show. You get to talk about this tomorrow. I'm like, yes, I do. Um, it's a good thing. It's a great <laughs> thing. So... We are going to be talking about five for 1994 from new Orleans. We also just recorded our bonus episode that will be going live on Friday. It's gonna be the first time we're putting out a bonus episode in a couple of weeks. Thank you to everyone who subscribes to Osiris media on H on a Apple podcast. You get HF pod premium. You can add free content from undermine as well as a number of other shows. Um, Lot happening in that realm, and uh, we're excited to put out that episode. Megan, this was your topic. What did we talk about uh, in this week's bonus episode?
2: We talked about our favorite encores. So, we talked about our favorite encores we've seen and what we think an encore should be generally.
1: We told Fish essentially this is how you should conduct every single encore that you play. And I'm I feel like we nailed what what really solidifies Noncore. We're not going to tell you all right here. You got to, you know, subscribe and listen and give us some ratings over how our bonus content is and let us know after you listen to it. But I think that we came to a pretty good space in terms of this is what a encore should sound like. Do you feel that way RJ?
0: Yeah. And I mean trying to, you know, telling fish what we think they should do is always it always works. Um, yeah. And it's always,
2: yeah. I agree
0: it always works and it's always helpful. So I'm glad we're going <laughs> to keep doing it. You know, um, I just want to say real quick, just because I'm, I'm using this mug um, from our friends at Passion House and um, they are a sponsor of our road show that we're doing next week. And Tom and I are going to three cities next week. We're going to Nashville on Monday and Asheville, North Carolina on Tuesday and Charlottesville on Wednesday. And we have these amazing musicians in each city that, are gonna play music, and we're gonna interview them, and we're gonna just we're gonna have like just a lot of really amazing times. So if you um, if you're in the Nashville area, Charlottesville area, or Asheville area, please come and uh, and say hi to us. If you go to OsirisPod.com/live, you can get you can get details. I just wanted to plug those shows because we're it's almost it's almost happening, and we're uh, we're excited.
1: It's gonna be awesome.
0: It's the Ville tour. I like it. It's uh, That's what
2: I was thinking. Are you only going to cities with like Ville at the end?
0: Yeah, that's why. That, that was by design from the beginning. Um, <laughs> has nothing to do with, you know, the fact that like we, no, but yeah, it was definitely by design.
2: Awesome cities, all of them though.
0: gonna be great. Really you good know, time to go all see. Those cities too. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. We have some amazing we have like we have the guitars from Snarky Puppy is going to be in the band that we're that we're going to have in Asheville. We have Maggie Rose and Daniel Donato and Katie Pruitt in Nashville, and then we have the Kendall Street Company in Charlottesville. So it's going to be um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, Osirispod. dot slash live um, that has a bunch of the details.
1: Definitely, definitely check that out if you are in those cities. It's going to be awesome stuff there. Um,
0: Oh, and Brian, sorry, before you can, can I just say that if you want to try passion house coffee, which you should, you can get a discount if you use the code Osiris. Thank you.
1: Whenever I get passion house coffee, I go through it so quickly. I tend to make like multiple pots of coffee a day, which is really good for productivity. Probably not good from a heart rate standpoint, but it all (laughs) works out because passion house coffee is so delicious. And I just find myself like I I drink the first two cups so quickly in the morning. I'm like, I probably should do another one around two or three o'clock in the afternoon. It's a great way to balance out with another sponsor of ours, uh, sunset Lake CBD. You're just like, you're, you're productive and you're relaxed. Mm-hmm. You're productive and you're relaxed. And you just exist in that universe. It's excellent.
2: Yeah. Sunset Lake CBD, can I tell you about them, Brian?
1: I would love to hear you tell us about Sunset okay. Lake CBD as well.
2: Great. So after you drank your Passion House coffee and you've been so productive, you might need a little help kind of just relaxing at the end of the day. And Sunset Lake CBD's line of smokable hemp products are here for you. There for the old deadhead or the young fish fan, anybody searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis, but none of those really annoying, paranoid, and anxious side effects. We've got nine different strains this year. There's something for everyone. They've got the Hawaiian Haze, which is awesome for an outdoor show. Brian, you're going to Red Rocks tonight, right? Maybe you should take some Hawaiian Haze.
1: I think I'm going to actually bring some with me. I'm going to need something to distract me from the cold weather and the rain. It's going to be a cold rain and snow. I don't think that's going to be played at this show, but um, I I definitely am going to need some CBD to take that edge off.
2: And then when you get home, you can have some cherry abacus, which is perfect for the end of the night. So all the flowers grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers, and even better, they have this farm table approach, so they get you great pricing on premium CBD flower because they ship directly from their farm to your door. I've also used a lot of this last week when I was recovering from an illness that should be unnamed that maybe some of you had if you went to MSG like I did. And I used a lot of CBD to help me sleep at night and it was super helpful. I'm actually completely out of my gummies now, so I'll be hitting up sunsetlakecbd.com. I'm going to use the coupon code HFPOD, get 20% off my products. So check them out. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned, Vermont grown.
1: Are you feeling good this week, thanks to Sunset Lake CBD?
2: I feel great. Maybe that's what I needed to recover. And now I'm kind of superhuman, at least for a few months, right?
1: I think so. You can go to every single concert you've ever wanted to go to, which (laughs) two years ago right now, we could not say that. So
2: Exactly.
1: You're in a good spot. Um, So let's talk here about 5494 the state palace theater in new Orleans, Louisiana. RJ, you've spent some time in new Orleans. You love the city of new Orleans. Tell me when you think about fish and you think about new Orleans, like do those two things, do they, do they match up uh, for you? Does it seem like two very different cultural ideas or does it seem like something that we need more of?
0: <laughs> that was a good setup. I think we need more. I think we need more of the of those shows. Um, I mean, it's the best. It's the best city. I think in America, um, it's my favorite city. I think it's just phenomenal culturally, musically, culinaryly. Um, it's just. It's just a. It's just an amazing city. Um, there've only been. 11 fish shows in New Orleans ever. And I think seven, well, all eight, like nine of the 11 of those were, actually, sorry, 10 of the 11 of those were in 1.0. So they they played Mm -hmm. Jazz Fest in 2014. And that's it since, uh, since 99. Um, And I think that's just not, I don't think that's cool. You know, Um, they should be playing there. It's a, it's a, it's an entire city that's just, it's just a music city and they should be um they should be playing there more. And I mean it's think about touring, like it's it's kind of a complicated place to get to, right? And it's like it's mm-hmm. sort of insular in that a lot of music people go there to hear music and touring like obviously happens, but there's not it's it's a hard stop to make on a tour because you got Atlanta, you you got like once you hit Atlanta, you're kind of like Either going to the you're going west or north. You're typically not going like, kind of like out of your way south west a little bit. So it's still kind of a hidden gem in that way. I mean, it's it's such an amazing place, and um, I think they should play there more. But um, I would say that most of their shows in New Orleans have not been that good. Um, but I don't know. Maybe that. So maybe like maybe they're maybe there's just something about the about the city that's just like I don't know I'm not sure why that is
2: it's very intense place right in all the good ways like all the reasons you just said so maybe when they played there in 1.0 maybe they weren't um maybe they were having hard time not experiencing all that New Orleans had to offer I don't know that's just a wild gasp I feel like I've only been there once but I absolutely fell in love with it and i also felt in the same way that i feel like new york is just super intense and like takes a lot out of you um you know i love new york i live here but i felt like that was how new orleans is too although new orleans is like the only thing we have close to a european city in this country i absolutely loved it
0: yeah yeah for sure
1: i think the point that you made about like the, the culture is very insular there. And so like you go there already to hear music, to have a band like fish show up and bring such a specific brand of music to them. This show that we're going to talk about almost is like fish acting as a local new Orleans band in a lot of cases, especially in the second set. But like, for them to just play a fish show in new Orleans, they don't have the fan base down there that's as ingrained. So you're really depending on people who are touring or curious from a local standpoint to go. So it almost seems like now the best way for them to play is to play a jazz fest set. But those sets are going to be like a lot of festival sets where they're just presenting, you know, in 90 minutes, this is what you can get out of a fish show. So it's it, it feels in some cases like a crime because it's such a great city from a musical history standpoint, from a culinary standpoint, from an architectural standpoint, but ultimately I kind of get how a northeastern band doesn't spend as much time down in New Orleans, even though I wish that they would.
0: Yeah. And I, I just just to kind of go a little bit deeper. I was just thinking about this. And then Justin, Justin um, said this, the, the smoothie King center, which is, you know, all of these, all these arenas are, are getting more and more interesting corporate names, but um, <laughs> you know, smoothie King is a thing. Um, that's it's 18,000 capacity. So that's about MSG size. Um, Justin's from new Orleans. Um, that's kind of the only venue they could play there. I mean, yeah. so many of the venues are Two hundred person rooms, right? And then there's like Jazz Fest, which is different, and then there's the the Superdome, which is like for you two and Billy Eilish or whatever. So like, I don't know. The Smoothie King Center seems like a good a good spot, but again, I don't know about the tour routing, and maybe that's part of it. But um, they should definitely play. They should definitely play there more. But but even if they don't, it's still the best place in America to see music.
1: You know what the nickname is for the Smoothie King Center?
0: No. The the Smoothie? The Blender. Uh, that makes sense. That makes a lot Shout of of
1: sense. Shout out to Herb Jones and the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Um yeah, you know, it'd be interesting to see them try to tackle an arena like that if they were doing like you could imagine almost like a spring tour cuz like right now in New Orleans it's already really hot. Um but like if, you know, maybe 2 months earlier they did like a spring tour and they made it kind of like a destination event. It could be a really fun thing. I would fly down there to see it. I mean, they don't have a fan base in Cancun and yet they play to a bunch of adoring fans. New Orleans is kind of a destination like that. You t- you say it's like a European city. It has like a European, you know, it, it's got that vibe to it that like you would travel to see fish and then experience the rest of new Orleans culture. So I'm into it. If we're going to plan out their encores, we should plan out their touring schedule as well. I'm, I'm into that.
2: And you could, like, convince, you know, spouses who might not be super into going to a destination to see fish, they would go to New Orleans. So I feel like it's, like, a perfect place you could actually convince people to t- could you go to, which would be so nice. But if you're going to do a show in New Orleans, I think this show is, like, the perfect version of a fish show in New Orleans.
0: Agree. Way to bring us back to the topic, Megan. That was, oh, that was beautiful. That was,
2: like, expert-level podcasting right
1: there. <laughs>
0: Brian and I were going to speculate on fish shows in New Orleans in the future for the next 45 minutes. So that was really helpful. Thank you. Oh, they could
1: play Houston right after and then maybe do a little text. No. Um, So this was the first performance at the State Palace Theater in New Orleans. Um, RJ, do you have any thoughts just based on your time in New Orleans about this venue specifically?
0: Oh, I do. I mean, I've never been there because it was, and I'll tell you why. It was started in 1926. It was a Lowe's, Lowe's theater, you know, part of that kind of chain of theaters that was, that were created for live performances. And it had all the, all the kind of famous people from the thirties through the sixties, you know, who performed on stage. Um, And then they also showed films there in the late eighties and nineties, it became more of a concert venue. And it was a, it was a big place for raves in the nineties. And, um, I'm just going to, as I've done once before, I'm going to show you a a picture of this place. Um, the inside, this is
2: from, this is from a
0: website that, um, that (laughs) it's like, it's called like abandoned Southeast. So it's like, you know, abandoned venues and, and other historic sites in the, in the Southeast. So, um, this is pretty cool because, um, but check out this, but this place is pretty awesome. Um, maybe this won't work. <sighs> anyway, I really want to share it. I guess we'll link to it. Um,
1: Try one more time. I just updated the settings.
0: Okay. Let's see, it's going to happen. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I have to, I have to do some stuff. Um, okay. So I'm going to, I'm just going to tell you guys about this. It's an old theater. It looks awesome. There's some chandeliers and stuff. Um, During a party on March 4th, 2000, uh, around a rave, undercover agents made 25 purchases of controlled substances within an hour, averaging one every four minutes. Um,
2: Wow. Productive. eventually,
0: Eventually the promoter decided to plead, not to not plead guilty to any charges or accept any plea that would be offered. He believed shutting down the rave parties would do little to protect children from the dangers of street drugs. And like the, this, Civil Liberties Union's drug policy litigation project got involved and in all this stuff. Um, So apparently this place was like the place to go for a rave if if you wanted to to go to a rave in New Orleans. Um, oh, my God. I, think I is, don't
2: think I could handle a rave in New Orleans. I think I used to be into raves and I feel like that would really just be over the top.
0: I think it was probably like really awesome. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah,
2: I would have but, probably done it. You're right.
0: But but anyway, it's it's really appreciate it came around there. Yeah, exactly. Megan's in. Um, So it it was flooded. Um, I think the basement was flooded by Hurricane Katrina. So that's sort of like slowed things down. Um, But it was eventually closed in 2005. And um, there were a bunch of plans to restore it, but ultimately never happened. And um, it's just sitting there. But there's a plan now to turn it into a whole new thing, which is a big hotel. So, I think that it will it won't be a venue again, um but it's an interesting history and uh and and you know one of the one of these cool fish shows was played there so
1: This was also the first performance that fish played at the State Palace Theatre in New Orleans. They would come back the following fall. And they'd play a really cool jam in the second set with Medesky, Martin, and Wood during part of their tour with Medesky, Martin, and Wood. Uh, Of course, they came out on stage with the band in October of 95 as well for um, a really cool jam in Austin. Excellent, excellent show that we'll probably talk about at some point because Medesky, Martin, and Wood rules, Fish rules, 1995 Fish rules, and New Orleans rules. And all of these things should be addressed at some point. Um, Let's dive into the show. This is a really, really sneaky, fun show. I, I, I said at the top, I don't listen to this show enough. And I was listening to it last night. And then again, this morning, just to like, be like, was that as enjoyable as I thought it was? And I was like, this is going to be a new show in my rotation. Cause it kind of has everything that makes spring 94 really special, but then it has all these little Easter eggs and all these additions that you're just, it's a very singular type show. Um, I also was really fascinated listening to this. This happens on a Wednesday night in New Orleans. They play a show on Friday, uh, I believe in Houston. Um, and then they play a show on Saturday, just outside of Dallas, the 7th of May, 1994, in a tiny venue called Bomb Factory, where they play one of the most important shows that they've ever played and probably will ever play. So this happens just three nights before, and it's just so unassuming that Three nights later, they're going to discover type two jamming in such a profound way. But
2: there was so much a, going on that tour too that spring. You just never knew it was going to happen. Like the horns would come at the beacon in April. Dave Matthews band would sit in. You've got like Oteil Burbridge sitting in Alison Krauss. Like you just never knew who was going to play with fish. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, it was a really cool period where you had sit-ins. You also had fish really discovering this like next step in their career from a set listing standpoint from a jamming standpoint um this show begins with a very classic pairing classic 1994 pairing of runaway gym and foam really good stuff here um just very straightforward but like excellent played versions everything feels like they just know how to play these songs um what were you guys thoughts kind of on the opening of the uh, uh of set one here
2: just sounds really confident to me. Sounds tight, confident, really just good 1994 fish. I saw a fish for the first time that fall, and this just sounds like so much of what they were doing so well then. It's great.
1: Yeah, confidence is like the perfect way to put this. They're just – they're at a point musically where they can just understand – what each other band member is trying to say almost before they say it. And so even when they're not jamming, there's just, there's tight transitions and there's no, are we going to go in this direction? It's just like, this is what we're going to play. And they play it. it almost feels like an athlete in a peak performance. I know we, you know, the 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 sports music analogy is never fully there, but like you know, you you feel as though you're listening to guys who just are practicing for hours a day, and then they're playing shows. What were your thoughts on the start of this show, RJ?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the classic, the classic start. You know, it's like the I mean, when I put it on today, I was like, this is just exactly what you would expect from this era. You know, kind of like a warm up with all these all these classic songs super tight really fun high energy and yeah i mean you know kind of a classic 94 start um but they were kind of like running through songs there wasn't a lot of like it was it was pretty fast you know which i guess maybe is just how 94 was in general but um it was it was it was fast
1: it is and then you get to look at that there it is oh is wow I did. That is
0: so. Did
2: it? Whoa, that looks like an artist rendering. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool looking. Um, That's amazing.
2: Oh, I would have definitely gone to a rave there. I take it back. That would have been awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, for Um, those, any of us who, any of you who are listening, we are we are looking right now at a picture of um, the State Theater. RJ, can you describe what we're looking at here? I mean, this is a beautiful theater.
0: Yeah, we're just, I mean, it's, you know, classic layout of, of two, two tiers of seating. And actually there's one more, there's one more picture, which we're going to, we're just going to show because you got to see, you got to see these, this chandelier. Um, So there's like these crazy chandeliers all over, um, all over the venue. But um, I think this is a pretty typical theater that was like built in this era that has, you know, the, the couple levels of seating and then the, the kind of boxes on, on both sides which is the view from this picture and um it's it's really like actually sad that they're gonna like tear just tear this place down and turn it into a hotel so that that's the main thing but it's a beautiful uh beautiful theater and fish actually played here the next year on their fall 95 tour ten seventeen ninety five. 95 so they were they played there a couple times but um I'm just glad you got to see it, Megan, and that you agree to go to a rave there when it when it, when it re, rebounds as a new v- rave venue.
2: Yeah, I was trying to act like I was like restrained or had some boundaries and I like wouldn't do something as crazy as go to a rave in New Orleans. But let's be honest, I totally would. I also it would be crazy, find- but
1: it'd be worth it.
2: Yeah, it'd be so worth it. It just reminds me of, I saw my first fish show in fall of 94 at, in a theater in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I just love that they used to play these kinds of rooms. It was really special. It felt so intimate and I just miss that. It's awesome.
1: I was going to read a little bit later, the one of the reviews for this show, um, but I'll just share a small snippet here. This is um, uh, from Mango Joe, who reviewed this 12 years ago. Um, He had been to the show, but he said that this theater, um, it, it was a beautiful old theater with a couple balcony levels and huge chandeliers like the Phantom of the Opera, though not as well known as the Fox. It is easily its rival. And looking at that picture, like it looks like it hasn't been as well maintained, as the Fox theater was like the Fox theater continues to be utilized as a theater to this day. There's, there's obviously some investment thrown into that, but um, it has that like such an old world America, like eerie charm to those types of venues that I just absolutely love. Um, One thing regarding this first set, you know, RJ, you talked about how fast it was and I totally agree The first moment where you start to really hear expansion is in the It's Ice, which has a noted uh, write-off tease by Miles Davis um, in the jam. And the jam segment of this is really elongated. And you can just start to hear like disjointed noises and kind of atonal sounds. And it was the first moment where I was like, oh, here's the hint of the bomb factory coming. You know, we know that during April and early May, 1994, there's moments of experimentation, but it's really fascinating for me to hear where those moments pop up. And a song like It's Ice, which we talked about back in March when we talked about the uh, Gamehenge 93 show, that's used as like the entry point into Gamehenge. Here, it's used as just like a small little opportunity midway through the first set for jamming and experimentation. It really kind of stuck out to me as a really cool version that. I've never had recommended to me. I've never really gone out, out of my way to listen to, but I really, really dug it here.
0: Yeah. It reminded me actually of that video. The what fish sounds like to people who don't like fish, their moments. <laughs> of It's ice. That sound exactly like that. Like, it's just sort of like, just like it, it almost is like they're like just playing off each other and just, it's almost like a big ball jam, but with like a little more structure around it. Yeah. It's that, interesting. Times.
1: Yeah. And it's at a time when big ball jam is like still a part of the rotation, but it's starting to fall out and they're kind of picking up these lessons of we can play hyper aggressive music that may not sound good to the quote untrained ear, but our fans are going to respond to it. And clearly I am that fan who's going to respond to this music. Meg, what were your thoughts on this? It's ice.
2: Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, I think this whole set has such great flow and it's really great setless construction. And I thought that it was cool to see them starting to jam a little bit. And then, of course, land in a song that's just so like mid-90s fish sparkle. And I thought the whole second part of this first set, I mean, if I saw that now, I would be thrilled. Axle Part 2, Tweezer, Lifeboy, which is just the perfect ballad into rift into tweezer reprise like that's a really solid way to end a first set shows a lot of energy also almost interesting because since they had the second set with the horns it's almost like they wanted to end the first set like they would a second set if they didn't have the horns it almost felt like that to me so i really loved the end of this first set
0: yeah yeah that's really awesome um i want to just say real quick brian i don't know if i mentioned this on this podcast before maybe i have but the last time I got to talk to Trey, I talked to him about Lonely Trip being the new life boy totally. as like a landing place. And and I was I had to I had to mention that because and this is like the perfect example of that being like a it's, it's like it's just the perfect landing place. Perfect landing place.
2: Yeah. I mean, Axela is like this wave that you're riding and it's just like this huge crescendo and you can hear them like when Trey's like screaming, yeah. It's like you're on that wave. Like he doesn't even feel like he's playing it anymore. It's like he's riding it. It's so incredible. And then Tweezer's so high energy and just to land right into that life boy, which is, I think every time I've ever heard life boy, there's always someone close by me crying. Like it's just such a special song in the same way that I think Lonely Trip is too now. I think I think that really has like a deep meaning for a lot of people. So I agree. Totally. Perfect placement.
0: Brian, we'll Brian can I, yeah. can I mention one other thing? Sorry, not to like get on a tangent about New Orleans, but this, this show was on a Wednesday and it was, it was the Wednesday after the 1994 jazz fest ended. Um, and they had shows before this, they were on tour, so they didn't get to, to go to jazz fest, but this was kind of like before jazz fest became m- mainstream, really. It was like, like the Allman Brothers played that year, but the the Sunday that it closed out was Aretha Franklin, Neville Brothers, Ellis Marcellus. And um, I wonder if people, if anyone who's watching or listening, stayed around, like went to that Jazz Fest and then stayed to see Fish the following week. That was probably a really awesome end to your Jazz Fest experience. Okay. Sorry, Brian. Go ahead. This that was an incredible trip. Yeah.
1: I love that. Not honest. a lonely trip, not a not at all. <laughs> a very loud cacophonous in like the best way possible.
2: God was a, listening a totally to you. Way. God was listening to you if you went on that trip.
1: <laughs> was God listening or was God looking the other way? I don't know. I it, it, it guess it depends. Yeah, I th- I think won, though, I thing. Thing. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Um, I was thinking about this as I was listening to the Tweezer because this is the last Tweezer before the bomb factory, and you can hear around like five 30, it moves into this like percussive jam that sounds very, very different from a lot of tweezers from the area or from the time period before moving into like this blues jam that will peak. And then it slows down before going into life boy. So there's like elements of we can do anything with tweezer, which they're about to discover on Saturday that like, we can, once we stop singing the lyrics, like this song can literally go anywhere. And also, this like restraint approach that they've been playing it with uh, for the previous two years. Then I was looking, I don't know if we've shared these kind of stats on uh, HF Pod, but I'm going to bring them to the table here. Sure. Um, so, Life Boy has been played 57 times. 17 of those times have come out of Tweezer, which is 30% of its performances. The last one was 1231, 1996. I thought this was interesting. In 10 performances from April 22nd, uh, 1994 to June 23rd, 1994. So basically a two month period in time, it comes out of Tweezer nine times. The lone outlier is 512.94. Following this show, it comes out of Fluffhead. Um, so it's. It's right. This is right in the sweet spot of when you think of the Tweezer Life Boy pairing. This is when it's happening, and it just feels like this great. You know, you finish Tweezer and you've got this bed to then lie out on and just like catch your breath and then move on with the show and be reflective before you rock again. As you noted, Meg Tweezer Reprise closes the uh, the uh, first set here, which. From a setless placement standpoint, that is one of my favorite things Fish can do is close a first set with Tweezer Reprise. It's always usually in the Encore, but when you actually cap the set off with it, there's just so much more energy that goes along with that. I I love it. So let's move into set two. We get a Run Like an Antelope opener, which is a rare slot for it. Usually this is a song that closes out sets. Um, Really cool touching moment here where as the jam is coming into the Marco Esquandolas uh, space. Trey dedicates the jam that was just played to his very close friend's newborn baby, who, as he said, they were having the baby right at the second, which maybe they were. I, he wasn't getting like text updates while he was on stage, but maybe he got a call during set break that, hey, she's in labor. We're this baby's coming. But you know, he dedicates it to this baby. And he says, I hope your life is just like the jam that we played.
2: That's really aggressive,
1: really aggressive life,
2: but filled with energy and excitement.
1: If you could move through your life at the pace of an antelope, like the run like an antelope jam, would you?
2: I'd need a lot of Passion House coffee,
1: good throwback. I know, I know one person in my life who I think, uh, moves at the pace of like a run like an antelope jam and, uh, I love the dude, but he is incredibly exhausting.
2: <laughs> Sometimes I've been known to be a little bit intense, but, um, I definitely can't keep it up for good. So no, I need a life boy every once in a while.
1: Yeah, you need that. You need that balance. What about you, RJ? Would you move at the pace of a run like an antelope jam? I mean, you probably get more done
0: yeah i mean my, my life sometimes feels like a, an antelope jam, you know, Same. just between kids and and this and startup life and so I feel like I'm like half half antelope jam um i, I don't want like, it, I don't want it full though
2: I feel like at the point that we're all in with like kids and work life, it's just it always feels like there's too much going on. Someday we'll be like old and bored maybe. Maybe
0: being bored seems so fun,
2: I know I don't know what that's like,
0: <laughs> although as a as a, as a quick diversion, Megan, we talked to you last week, we were both um quarantined or you, I was more quarantined than you, but you were we both were forced to kind of like chill out a little bit um last week because of covid and um it was definitely like the most I've rested in a really long time, which I think was i think was good, but also like. I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm like, I kind of wish I had noticed it a little more.
2: Yeah. I mean, I feel like it forced me to rest and I'm not a rester. Like I'm not someone who ever takes time to rest. And the reason I don't is because it just, it's nice. And once you realize how nice it is to rest, it's hard to go back, back on the train. Yes. That's Jacob
1: awesome. Yorba yep. is a more back on the train type vibe, and
2: <laughs> perfect. Any
1: any way you can be a Chugal vibe in your life is a is a good vibe to be. So I'm, I'm yeah, really. I'm yeah. on that train, Jacob. I like that. That's good. That's that's what I strive for.
0: <laughs> um, maybe vibe. maybe one of our maybe one of our bonus episodes can be if you if you could describe your life as a fish song. Which song would it be?
2: Yeah, if you could describe your life, what fish song would it be? And if you could choose a fish song in yeah. your life, what it would be.
0: Yeah. Like current and current and, and aspirational, aspirational.
2: state. Yeah. Okay. That's I fun.
1: Like
0: I like this idea.
2: Me I'm going to
1: throw it in the notes here. I'm shortly. To
2: put it in there right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love this antelope. I love the call of bouncing around the room next because it kind of with what we know is going to happen for the remainder of the show. It, probably serves as like a cue to the horn section of hey, when you hear this song, get ready. We're gonna be calling you guys on stage. Um we get a mid second set, You Enjoy Myself, which is always a cool place for it because it's so disorienting when you enjoy myself starts with like 50, 60 minutes left in the set. Cause you're just like, oh my God, are they where are we in the show right now? It's just, you know, it's one of those songs that I feel like always caps off a show, but then like to have it here. I know RJ is happy with this no vocal jam in this. You enjoy myself because midway through the jam, which was something I did not know when I was looking at the show on paper, which is yet another call to listeners out there. Don't judge shows on paper. You might look at a show and be like, that set list doesn't look good at all. Or okay, cool. They play you enjoy myself. And then the horns come out like, no, this is like midway through the tramps jam. You suddenly start to hear the horns. And as, um, uh, I'm pulling his review up here again mango joe talks about it um he was at the venue earlier in the day and they heard the horns sound checking and so they thought that they were going to come out at some point like during the first set or early second set um but during the jam during the tramps jam of the uh you enjoy myself on cue horn players came marching across the stage from right to left Grippo in the lead and gears right behind him. All of them dressed up for Mardi Gras. They went back behind page where the risers and mics suddenly were revealed by a dropped curtain horns played the rest of the set and it was fantastic so it sounds like a really cool production where like you're in the middle of a show most people probably had no idea that horns were coming because they're their stage is behind a curtain those who did know were probably spending the whole whole show wondering when this is going to happen and then they come on during a you enjoy myself it was really well executed
2: that's an awesome reveal moment that's so cool
0: and I, dug it. I just can I clarify that there's so in in '91 there was the Giant Country Horns, right? And then in April '94 there was the Giant Country Horns with a different six-piece lineup. Mm-hmm. This is the Cosmic Country Horns, I in, which included new people, including Michael Ray. And I think this was the first, pretty sure this was the first time that Michael Ray played with Fish. But then they he would play with them more, and I think continued on um and the the gumbo on a live one which has the horns is with the cosmic country horns not the giant country horns. i just want to tell you guys that because i think that like we just put them together as like it's just like their horn section from 94 but there were like four different lineups and this is a separate one that i think went from like may until december whenever they had horns
1: yeah, it's so those December Southern California shows that have, and like Arizona shows mm-hmm. that have Cosmic Country Horns as well. It's got to be Michael Ray that makes this cosmic.
2: Must be playing in Sunrise,
1: and yeah. So this lineup, um, as RJ said, it's you get Michael Ray, Carl Gearhart, Dave Grippo, Dave the Truth Grippo, Tony Tate. Uh, Jerome Terrio and Rick Trollson. Some of those players uh, are probably new names to some of you out there because they haven't been, you know, it's uh, Gearhard, Grippo, and Remington. Russell Remington were playing in the early 90s. Um, but this, yeah, this expands. Michael Ray has joined the band since then. Uh, I believe early fall 2000 tour, he plays in the um, Albany shows. Uh, a really cool version of Sand. But this, uh, again, there's no pause. There's no. We'd like to welcome these friends. They just show up mid jam. It's such a cool moment, and this you enjoy myself, then works into a jam that fish drops out, and the Cosmic Country cor- horns are playing the riff to Buried Alive. I absolutely loved this transition. It like just I had to like re-listen to it again because it just kind of blew me away. Um, what are you guys thoughts this- on these? Yeah.
0: I, sorry, I just want to keep saying, talking about this just quickly, which is that yeah, this, this this Michael Ray performance. I think w- this was one of the first ones. This kind of led to um, Trey inviting Michael Ray and Marshall Allen and others to do Surrender to the Air, which which happened. Um, I think it started. They started recording um, the following spring, but I feel like this was maybe the the part where he got introduced to to Michael Ray, and then started uh started these this crazy project which we talked about a lot in the live again um but um i keep taking us away from this show
1: well actually you led us in a direction that i really kind of wanted to take this to because i was thinking about this when i was listening to it um so i love tab i really love tab and i think that like tab has such like a amazing energy and it is such a great vehicle for Trey. And I th- and I think like, you know, the mixture of, of be it like modern tab that's a bit more, it's it's a bit tighter and it's a bit more bright versus like the O two O two O three version of Tab that is really expansive. Listening to this set though, it it, it kind of is like a balance of that surrender to the air approach and the tab approach. Like you can hear why Trey formed tab the way that he did playing some of these songs where it's just like his guitar aligns with, I was thinking about in Julius, like the solo that he's doing with like the horns lines behind it. It just sounds like him playing with tab six, seven years later, but it also got me thinking and the Susie Greenberg and the caravan really got me in this area. when you think about people like Michael Ray and when you think about Miles Davis and when you think about what Trey was doing with Surrender to the Air, there's not necessarily a missed opportunity, but there's almost like a a direction this could have gone in where the horns are a complement to abstract jamming. And it all often seems like the horns come in in this very tight approach. I'm curious what you guys think about like, I would personally love to see an approach with fish where horns are used in an improvisational standpoint rather than you know just this very, very hyper-tight standpoint. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that.
2: Oh, I totally agree. I mean, this Susie Greenberg jam is amazing. It's so different. And I think that what's cool is that it comes out of Susie Greenberg, which is such a classic song to play with the horns, like that ba da like it's so bright and punchy. And I think that it's really cool that it goes into this like – super awesome interesting jam and i think the caravan is so cool and a song that i haven't listened to a lot and i think i heard i've actually heard it live and i didn't even remember that i heard it in 96 when they played it in philly at the core state spectrum for the new year's run um the beginning of the new year's run and it's just an incredible song and it's just so interesting to hear them and what incredible jazz musicians the band are and like how many, like you said, directions they could have taken this in. But I love it. I think it's really cool. This isn't, I feel like to me, and maybe I just didn't know it as much, but this is an underappreciated horns show.
1: Totally. Like cool. I've
2: heard so many, so much about the other ones, like Somerville or The Beacon, but I haven't I haven't heard that much about this one.
0: Yeah. Could not agree. <clears throat> yeah. I, I think these specific players push it in that direction, including Michael Ray, as as Brian mentioned from Sunra and I think it's yeah, it's interesting it, especially as you think about as ninety four continues then then like the jazz thing kind of goes away, and then the bluegrass thing starts to become like the thing that is part of shows aside from you know just typical fish um but it, clearly Trey was continuing to follow that thread with with surrender to the air and and then eventually eventually tap, so it's um. Yeah, I mean I keep going back to Alive again, which I'm sure most people listening or watching heard, but Trey talked a lot about how jazz influenced both Fish but also like his thinking about collaboration and improv, which I think this set this part of the set is is really indicative of that thinking about how you can use you can use those instruments as like similar to an orchestra but then it can also like lead you in in a lot of different places, which I think is just really cool. It's a unique. It's a unique thing.
1: Yeah, it's and and that's kind of my thought is like the breakdown of charted out horns lines and versus using horns as a addition to your overall improvisational approach. It's it's definitely landed more in the former. It's it's definitely been more like let's chart this out. Let's let's have this be as as tight as possible. Have the horns complement the songwriting. The closest from a fish tab standpoint that we've gotten to it is probably that summer 2002 tour where they were playing 35 40 minute long jams on a near nightly basis and the horns were kind of just like go off on your own and see what happens but also surrender to the air that trey would play uh just a year later i don't know it's just like a really cool I, I agree with you completely meg this is a very underappreciated you know as we are figuring out what to talk about this week, thinking about a show like this. Okay, cool. We're going to talk about a horn show that happens in the middle of a regular tour. But then you listen to this actual show and you're just like, there's so much there. Um, While getting songs like landlady and cavern, which horns just seem to kind of add something to these songs, um, regardless of any improvisational approach, just like takes a great song and adds something to it that, uh, that, that is elevated. That compared to moments like Susie Greenberg and Caravan that are stretched out, that are, you know, exploratory in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. There's just, there's a cool balance to this show that I was not expecting going into it.
2: Yeah, and it's kind of perfect because you have the first set of like pure fish and then you have the second set with just like incredible horns and some jams in the horns. It's just, it's really, really good show.
1: It should also be noted Wolfman's has a very cool alumni blues jam in the middle of it, which had been done uh, at the beacon just about a month earlier. Um, I will say from just like a straight song standpoint, listening to spring 94 Wolfman's brothers, I'm really glad that they like put that song on the shelf for a bit of time and then revisited it and figured out within like two or three years what it could be. Um, The versions that like imitate how they sounded on hoist just sound so overtly tight to me. And like you think ahead three years and the way it's played in summer 97 and it's kind of laid back, it's got this great groove to it. Um, The story feels a little bit creepier than it does when they're singing it, you know, as like bright and upfront as they are. I don't know. I was listening to this. I was just like, I'm glad that this song took a few years to evolve because what it evolved into is really what it kind of should have been all along.
2: Yeah, Wolfman should be like a little sexy.
1: Exactly, and this is not a sexy version
2: at
1: all.
0: There's <laughs> <nothing>. <laughs> um, I like Caravan. It. I think it was. It was oh, sorry, Brian, I was just going to say the twenty seventh anniversary, and he, and coming back to the show is a great. It was a great pick um, for all the reasons you you described. So it was really fun.
1: Yeah, this was a fun show. We get also caravan this is the third to last version ever meg meg saw the last version ever in philadelphia in uh 1996 but they played it five four 94 87 shows later they played it 12 2 94 and then 160 shows later 12 29 96 and never since and we've talked recently about like a desire for jazz standards to come back this one is <sighs> I mean, this would be just an amazing sign to hear again. It's, it's not, it doesn't sound super difficult. um, And it could really fit into like a second set in a cool way. I'd love to bring have something like this come back.
2: That'd be so cool. I'd love this jazz to come back. It is very interesting, RJ, what you said about how they really went towards bluegrass because they were really just focusing so much more on that, like fall 94. And then even into 96, they were still doing like mini acoustic sets sometimes. And it's just so interesting that they decided to go that way.
0: I wonder in a
1: yeah, sense, I mean, like, go ahead, RJ.
0: No, no, go ahead.
1: I, I wonder in a sense, like you think about where fish is at in the spring of 1994 and jazz is starting to kind of fade out. Bluegrass is starting to fade in, but at the same time, like, classic rock and arena rock is really starting to dominate, like how they're going to approach music, but you almost think of like jazz is going to, they're not going to play jazz standards anymore. They're going to basically use the ideas of jazz. Like RJ was saying earlier, you know, stuff that Trey has talked about on a live again, where they're going to use the ideas of jazz for improvisational music while bringing elements of other Americana bluegrass into their repertoire while like Building to this like very loud, bombastic sound that is American arena rock in a lot of ways. I don't know. There's just a lot of like, there's a stew that's happening right now in fish in spring of 1994. And there's a lot of different crossroads, a lot of divergent paths of where they could go to. And we're kind of seeing them say goodbye to one element that's gotten them this far. But now they're going to use aspects of that to bring them further.
2: Yeah, maybe they thought that the bluegrass was just more palatable too. I don't know. I don't know if they cared, but it's interesting to think about, like as they were building their audience and going down South more and I don't know, I wonder going out West.
0: Going out West. That's it. I think it's just constant evolution and, and, you know, learning too. You know, I think they, um, Ronnie McCurry has talked about meeting the band and, and playing with them. And, you know, I think that like, it could be a similar thing to, like, you know, Michael Ray, like, being included in some of these 94 shows, and then, like, Surrender to the Air happens, and then they, like, you know, I, I don't know, I don't remember exactly where the first time they played with, with the McCurries was, but, uh, like, they just, Trey especially, he just, like, follows these these threads, you know? It's like, he, like, finds, finds someone to collaborate with, and then, like, it's like, alright, now we're gonna, like, do a bunch of now we're gonna do a bunch of bluegrass stuff, and I don't know it's it's interesting that 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 happened, although I think Mike kind of brought the the bluegrass stuff to to fish right,
1: yeah, I think that was like a huge Mike influence on the band, but also like. Wasn't it, you know, in like fall of 94, they, were, they knew they were starting to move out of some of these smaller venues, but they wanted something that they could really connect with the audience on mm. while also, this was around the time they were starting to sing much more acapella and they were taking lessons mm. in both bluegrass and acapella to just like figure out how do we better communicate as a band?
2: Yeah, when I saw them, that was when um, Reverend John Mosier was touring with them in the fall of 94.
1: You saw a show that kind of like combines like two of these elements. The you you were at the
2: Grand, know, you were Rapids. At
1: Grand Rapids. That, yeah. that has a really good tweezer that that kind of mm-hmm. backs up what I'm talking about. Um or is it Bowie? I think it might be a Bowie. No, it's Bowie. Know. I there, think
2: it's Bowie. It's think, Bowie. Yeah.
1: Cause that whole week, like you've got that Bowie, you've got the Ann Arbor uh, simple, you've got the Fox Theater tweezer. Like there's just these big jams. While they're all, you know, and these jams kind of feel rooted in like improvisational jazz in a lot of cases. But then they're also coming on there playing like a bluegrass mini-set that mm-hmm. is just a totally different element of American music. I don't know, it's such a wild time.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I do wanna say on the just in case on the bluegrass front, in case anyone didn't know this. So Trey was particularly interested in this Del McCurry album called the blue side of town, which came out in 1992. And that's, that had beauty of my dreams on it, which obviously they started, mm. they started playing um, after that. I think that, I think maybe Mike and Trey both started kind of like thinking more about bluegrass at that time, but that, that album, it's a great album. And that, that kind of pushed, I think, cause it just had just come out a, a year or two before um, pushed them in that direction. I think, I think Ronnie McCurry told me when I talked to him once that he, the Trey told him that it was like the album that he listened to the most for like a year. Um,
2: wow. And
0: if you guys know anything about Del McCurry, he's like the nicest, most awesome dude in the world. And he should get more, he should get like just more respect and love from the world.
1: So one of the things in this show kind of summarizes it that I consistently love about, listening to more of his shows and uh, listening to this band for 20 plus years now is there. and, And they pick part of this up, I think from the grateful dead, maybe not consciously, but it's just a part of the whole, you know, following a band like this, they really care about the elders that came before them in American music. And they really care about taking elements of American music forward. And you hear it in a show like this, where there's rock music, there's improvisation, but there's also this hat tip to what brass has done to American music and no better place to do it than the city of new Orleans. I think the only thing that the show is missing is them marching out into the streets of new Orleans and playing music, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, playing like magia or, or uh, Manteca out there. But um I don't know. Overall, this is uh, this is just such a cool show that like showcases where the band was at at the time, but also subtly where they felt where, where it seems like they were going.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. Luckily, they were able to do the second line type of thing out of out of uh, New York City theater a few years later, or the tab at least, led by Ciro.
1: They do that at the uh, Chicago you? Theater as well. I, th- I wonder if that was the same tour. It's uh, summer '03, 03. They march out of the Chicago Theater to I think it's Sweet and Dandy they were playing.
2: I mean, who else could <laughs> yeah. be led by either? There's only yeah, one. Exactly. That, that out.
0: Exactly. Uh, this is great. and I a mean, I- good point about the about the connection to the city, Brian. And I think that's why like they should just play they should just play more shows here. That's all
1: i'm into it man i'm into it firmly established Fully um,
2: totally agree
1: <laughs> we are into it and but you know we go to position. a lot of fish shows so you know as long as it's just the three of us that are there i'm sure jonathan would go to new orleans to see fish i think
0: i think i he think, would I think he would too um, although Trey band has played there more than 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 fish and recently Trey band played at at jazz fest and they yeah. did that trio a trio i think three nights in um in new orleans in 2018 which is
2: mm-hmm. which
0: is pretty cool and and trey played there in uh in in 2020 as part of that that uh tour and in, in the beginning of 2020 before everything happened so i would say that like they just need they just need the full band back back to new orleans
1: well and speaking of tab and speaking of the state palace theater uh tab played here in 2005 um So this was, I think that was the last performance of anyone fish associated. I'm just going to double check this. Yeah. 430, 2005, the Trey Anastasio band played there. Um, The show was billed as the new Orleans super jam. You had electric tab. um, And then the second set, it looks like Mike came up on bass. Dave Matthews came up on vocals. This was just like a crazy. The second set has Foxy Lady in it, Sneaking Sally Through the Alley, Three Little Birds, Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself Again, 46 Days in the Encore, Wang Dang Doodle. This is just a crazy show. Wow. <laughs> this is insane.
2: Wang Saturday, Dang April
1: 30th, 2005. This must have been right during Jazz Fest. So that was the last time any member of Fish played at the State Palace Theater, April Two thousand and five, just before two thousand
0: and five was a little rough. Yeah. But I think it's worth going back to. We should we should I'll check it out too. Um
1: at some point we should talk about like that summer two thousand five tour because there's there's some fascinating craziness that happened in that tour.
0: That was Skeeto and all those guys. And they played the day before that show at at Jazz Fest.
1: Yeah. I saw an August 05 show uh with 70 volt parade at what is now Northerly Island in Chicago. Um after watching the Cubs put up eight runs at Wrigley Field and then lose the game ten to eight to the Cincinnati Reds, thus crushing any hopes that the Chicago Cubs would make the playoffs that year. It was a rough day for for yours, truly, but um <laughs> somehow made it through. A lot of like $14 bud lights getting me through that day. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> the last thing Thank we want to talk our sponsor, about. It.
0: To our sponsor, but <laughs> but <Light.
1: laughs> Um. Last thing we wanted to share was uh, favorite country horns sit ins. So this was the Cosmic Country Horns, but we've seen some other shows that have horns associated with it. Um, Megan, starting with you, do you have any? Is there another show that you would recommend that has horns associated with fish that you liked?
2: I mean, the one I've listened to the most is probably the one people are most familiar with, the Somerville Mass one from July 19th, 1991. There's just such a crazy energy to the show. And I love thinking about where they were in 1991. My husband's from right near Somerville. And I love thinking that this band brought this insane energy and the country horns and they took over Somerville, Massachusetts and just played this like really kind of wild show with like... Fishman's mom on vacuum and, you know, people on cowbell and Fishman on the trombone. And there's just like such a crazy wild energy to the show. And I think it's really fun. It's
1: a good show. That whole tour. I love that. RJ, do you have any recommendations for horns?
0: Yeah. I mean, I would go to that. I would also go to the, the summer 91. I mean, just because it's so, it's so rare that there are two, there are two full sets with horns, you know, and in those summer 91 shows, they would start with whatever the opener was. And then like halfway through the song, they would announce the giant country horns. And it's just so fun. I mean, seven That's one of the first, one of the first uh, tapes I ever got from, from Arrowhead ranch. And that is also a, a double, a double encore. I'm um, going back yeah. to like, our bonus conversation. Mm. Um, that's just really fun. I mean, you know, they're, they're, it's, they're kind of, they're kind of all the same in, in some way, but there's, there's a, there's a great gumbo in the encore and the whole thing is just great hearing divided sky with, with horns and split open and meld and, you know, tweezer with horns. I mean, it's just, those 91 shows are, are pretty special. What about you, Brian?
1: Seven twenty one ninety one was my pick, but the other one I would throw out is 714 from Townsend family park in uh, Vermont. Um, this show, the horns come on in the uh, second set. So you don't get them in the first set, but you get like, The first set opens with Reba, Llama, and Squirming Coil, which sounds like such a random collection of amazing songs opening the show. I can't even imagine that. But it's a three-set show. You get horns in set two, set three. Again, you get a divided sky with horns, split open and melt. You get Mike's groove with horns, Mike's song, Hydrogen, with horns, which is crazy. Um, And then you get an encore of Contact and Big Black Furry Creature from Mars. And I think that like – listening to this show and Amy's farm back to back, you hear a band that can put together three set shows that really feel like an immersive experience, but one of them has horns. One of them is just straight up fish. And you start to get a sense of like, you know, when this band has a complete night isolated to you as a listener, like fully immersing yourself into there's so much to chew on. And, um, you know all that's to say the the shows you guys listed are great um we should also note 72091 night before the show you picked RJ was uh dinner and a movie last summer and was just so cool to see they're on like mm-hmm. just a, i mean they're on a stage like with legit you know uh lights and everything and like you know like the speaker like the 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 PA system is like set up in a way it looks very professional but it also looks very thrown together and there's you know it looks like a fish show but with like space in between people it's amazing but Trey's got like short shorts and a fish shirt on that has no sleeves on it and the giant country horns come on and their white suits it's just it's amazing stuff
2: <laughs> that was so fun to watch it's just like such a window into time
1: it really was um before we go Listener Jacob Yorba has a question I think is really interesting. Why did fish stop touring horns? And do you think that they'll ever tour again with a horn section? I have thoughts on this, but RJ, what are your thoughts on it?
0: Um, I mean, I just think that they're like just constantly kind of evolving and it was probably like, you know, they, they never want to do the same thing for too long. So I think these, these kind of shows and then there's, you know, one-off kind of sit-ins over time is, is how, I guess how just how it evolved based on them wanting to keep pushing forward i mean you know 94 was the last time this tour really happened and then you know in 95 you have dozens of new songs and from then like everything just keeps pushing forward in a different direction so that's um and then and then by 97 98 tab is being formed and then at least there's like this this horn thing on the side so I guess that's my take on it, which is not very um, scientific or interesting, but that's my take. I don't think they'll tour with the horn section again for, for a tour, but I don't know.
1: Yeah. I feel like my answer is tab. Like tab serves this purpose in a lot of cases. And the last time we really saw this aside from the beacon jams, which kind of fused the ideas of fish with tab together in a lot of cases was new year's Eve, 2016. And it was really cool to hear like those big boat songs with horns on them because they seemed like they needed to be played in a manner that was very tight, that was bright, that had accompaniment on them. And the band really wanted to showcase like what these songs were, but it would definitely dominate a tour in a way that, um, it would almost be the same manner of like what an acoustic set would be like at a show where it would kind of limit the unknown. Um, Meg, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking of is how I think with Fish now, they're just so free and they have so many songs. And I think they really like that freedom to be able to kind of go wherever they want to go, play one of their 240 songs, whereas a tour with the horns would really limit them um, as far as what they could do. So I, I agree. I think that Trey kind of has his horn fix with Tab. It's such a horn kind of like out front show that I think that he's really getting that kind of, I don't know. Itch scratched there.
1: Yeah. I'm going to see Tab at the end of this month. And um I was watching the Sweetwater set and I was just thinking like how Tab just sounds like a like a 70s session band. It's so tight. It's so like happy and danceable. And he just seems to have like the greatest time when he's up there playing with that band. It's it's I can't wait to with him. Tab.
2: I love I wish they were doing a bigger tour. My parents are also my parents are flying from North Carolina out to Denver to see them for the first time at Red Rocks. They've seen them in Wilmington, but they're flying up. They've never been to Red Rocks. It's like their dream. They're going to be stalking you, Brian. I'm sorry, but Tab is they're going to have a great time. It's such a great band.
1: I hope that they come out when the uh, I hope that by the end of the month, the weather is better than it is tonight for the show. I'm going to see at Red Rocks because it is we are in our rainy season right now. It, uh you know, it's this is not the time of year that you live in Denver for, but we need this. We need the green, but I hope that they come out and it's like a beautiful, cool Sunday evening for tab on the rocks. It should be great. Anything else we got? Did we hit it all? We demanded fish play no. New Orleans. We showed mm-hmm. pictures. We talked about jazz and American music. I think we did it, guys. I think we did it. We will be back then on Monday, May 9th, to talk about May 8th, 1993, the tour finale of spring 1993 officially released show so you should have no issues listening to this in high quality although the audience recording is quite good as well Um, but this is a wild wild show we are going to step back basically one year in time to talk about where the band was at at the end of the 1993 tour really really excellent show i can't wait to dive into it some excellent jamming Um, So we'll see you back here on Monday, May 9th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Some really great stuff coming up here in the next couple of weeks as we get ready for summer tour. Um, Before we go, though, we want to tell you one more time about our sponsors at Sunset Lake CBD. Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm that is located just outside of Burlington, Vermont. Uh, for years they were a dairy farm producing milk for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. You've probably heard of Ben and Jerry's out there. In 2018, they diversified. they started growing hemp for CBD. Sunset Lake embraces Vermont's tradition for land stewardship by using sustainable and regenerative farming techniques. They build and practice or to build and protect healthy soils that are hundred percent pesticide free, use minimal tillage and implement co- cover crops to crop rotations. They also serve as a research farm for the University of Vermont's agronomist to study hemp and inform best industry practices. And we, we say it all the time in here, we love, love, love Sunset Lake CBD. The quality that they care about their product with and their employees just pushes it over the top. So this should serve just as a testimonial for all of you out there of why you should be Going to sunsetlakecbd.com using coupon code HFPOD to get 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned and Vermont-grown. RJ, are you able to tell us about our last sponsor of the day, Cash for Trade?
0: Yeah, our friends at Cash for Trade, the only secondary ticketing marketplace where fans can buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. You can DM other fans before, during, and after a transaction and rate and review each other when a transaction is complete. I haven't used Cash for Trade in a while, but it's, it's definitely the best way to buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Um, there's no added fees to sell your tickets, and all sales are fully protected by Cash for Trade's Traders Protection Policy, which guarantees everything or your money back. Um, visit cashortrade.org and uh, thanks to them for, for helping support us
1: absolutely absolutely meg rj the best part of our week has come to an end we will have to sit in our rooms and wait until monday at 4 30 p.m eastern when we can all hang out again but it's been great to hang out with you guys it's been great to talk with listeners like justin bruce one of the greatest dudes out there in the fish community as well as jacob yara as well as all of you out there listening after we go live thank you all for supporting us we will see you back here on monday Thanks, Thanks everyone. Everybody. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G
0: Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to eleven.